Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week. We've got some answers to some of your questions and we're hoping we get some more questions today. We always have more questions than we can get to, but uh, we like to keep the pipeline full and give us things to work on and uh, get our uh, programs ahead so we can put the closed captioning on it and all that. So we're happy to take your questions today, but uh, we're going to mainly answer your questions. And if you're a first time viewer, you may need to know what we're doing here. Uh, we advocate Bible study and we want people to know their Bible. And the best way we know to do that is just say, what do you want to know about the Bible? and let you direct the program. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can see those anytime and use them anytime. And give us a question. Uh, tell us what's on your mind, whether it's a specific, uh, where's this verse or what's this verse mean? Or maybe it's something about your family or finances or current events. So you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. We'll find, uh, search for answers to any of those kind of questions. So uh, website, phone number on the screen, use them and you tell us what you'd like to see on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Good morning. Glad you're back and ready to go and uh, studied up here. We got uh, a lot of good ones saved up, but we always start with one for our viewers. So let's give you that <coughs> one. Which apostle was a twin? an extra S in there, but uh, the one apostle <laughs> says he was a twin, and we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you and your family know that one. And I think Toby got the first question today, so get the program rolling here. Sure. Have you asked the question, how do you connect the two ideas of fear the Lord and love the Lord? Well, this is uh, uh, definitely two ideas that are uh, prevail throughout Scripture, both fear the Lord and love the Lord. And it seems like they're contradictory. And some people explain fear of the Lord by saying, well, it's kind of a respect idea, not so much you're afraid of them. Uh, but when I study fear of the Lord, it seems to be much deeper than, you know, when you respect a boss or you respect someone who's been successful. Um, it's fear. I mean, it's just this all-encompassing. Uh, when Isaiah went into the throne room of God, he just was overwhelmed with the presence and the holiness of God and he his response was woe unto me it was just it was fear not in the sense of being afraid but just absolutely overwhelmed and humbled by the presence of God now how can you have that idea coupled with the idea of love someone that you want to draw near to and some something that is uh, just something that you desire and some someone that you uh, uh, want to please Okay, so these two ideas seem contradictory, um, but I think as we grow in Christ, we have a measure of both, which helps us along. Uh, it's a very imperfect analogy, but it's the best one I could think of, uh, and that is the idea of the relationship of children to their parents. Um, children fear their parents to some degree because they're physically larger, and when they get mad, it, it's a 
it's a trembling thing to their little world uh, when uh, you know just everything about a child's perspective of a parent makes them to some degree fear them and that's I mean to some degree that's normal so you don't want to be abusive but also the child more than anything loves their their parent and they desire to please them and be with them and of course parents love their children and and so forth so uh, you can have those two ideas without being mutually exclusive it's not an either or proposition it's a both and proposition so I think fear in the Lord just simply means being completely humbled and overwhelmed by his presence doing what he says to do Loving him means understanding that he loves you and wants what's best for you. You don't see his commands as burdensome, but rather as a blessing. Um, and when you when you become a Christian, think about another way to think about it is um, like most people do so out of fear, and they just do so because man, I, they study the scriptures, say I don't I don't want to spend eternity away from God in in hell. Uh, that's a very fearful thing when you imagine it. Um, it's it'll truly shake you to your core. And that's okay to start there, um, but then as you grow and mature, you learn to obey, you learn to do, you learn to live your Christian life, not out of fear, but out of love as well. Um, so as we grow and mature, hopefully we understand both fearing the Lord and loving the Lord. Uh, let's look at a verse from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. <clears throat> there the apostle of love says this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So they work together. They're not mutually exclusive, and you got to have both. Okay, thank you, Toby. A viewer asked a question about a miracle. How did Jesus walk on water? How did Jesus walk on water? Uh, well, my first thought to response was, uh, very well, thank you. <laughs> he, he just did. Um, I don't mean to make fun of the question, because it may be a very young person or somebody who's just first picked up the Bible and seen a picture of Jesus walking on the water and wondered, how did he do that? Well, it's a miracle, and miracles uh, violate the natural rules of science and the natural rules of this earth. So that's how he did it. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Uh, but when I saw that, I thought, you know, I bet some people have got some interesting things on the internet about this. So <laughs> I, I just Googled that question, how did Jesus walk on water? And one of the ones that popped up, I got a kick out of. It just tickled me. So I'm going to share a little humor with you here. I know we're not very humorous on this program. But this guy says, uh, and I won't name him or anything, he says, as a man of science, I don't buy easily into religion, especially not the stories that border on supernatural or miraculous. But this one, he said, it's possible to walk on water if the water is thixotropic. He says, Thixotropy is the property of non-Newtonian pseudoplastic fluids that show a time-dependent change in viscosity. Namely, the viscosity of thixotropic fluids reduces the longer they are exposed to shear stress. In other words, thixotropic fluids take time to react to changes in pressure before reaching the viscosity equilibrium. Fellow sounds like he knows a whole lot, doesn't he? Uh, he's talking about 
some liquid substances like honey uh, that are not really completely liquid uh, that take a little while to react to pressure. Now, he goes on and on for pages explaining this thixotropy and all he knows about it and all that. And the best part of the whole article was I got down to the comments afterwards and the first guy that wrote in said, you've used the wrong word. You're not it's not thixotropy you're talking about and gave him another word <laughs> that I can't even pronounce. And he said, you don't even know what thixotropy is. So, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, he thought he had it all explained and here's how it could possibly happen. And uh, he had a big theory about an earthquake that stirred up the mud from the bottom of the lake and made the water thicker than it was. And uh, anyhow, on and on. So hopefully that struck you as funny as it did me. It's funny to try to explain miracles scientifically because that's what a miracle is. It's anti-natural rules. God suspends the natural rules for a while uh, and He's God. He can do that. He made the natural rules. Now, I don't know how Jesus walked on water. Uh, he could have made the water thixotropic where he stepped, I guess, if he wanted to. Uh, he could have made it concrete where he stepped, every step. Uh, he could have made Jesus' body subject to the law of gravity and changed the law of gravity for that body to minus 32 feet per second squared. That's uh, where he would be absolutely perfectly balanced and floating, if you want to call it that. Uh, God could have done anything, but we know He walked on water. Uh, trying to explain miracles in a natural explanation is an exercise in futility. So uh, God did something to the natural laws that allowed Jesus to walk on water. And then He also did the same thing for Peter when Peter had enough faith to trust in God's uh, ability to do that. And uh, that's all we need to know about miracles is they don't follow natural laws. I'm All thinking right. that thixotropic ought to be one of our uh, <laughs> trivia questions in an upcoming episode. I don't, I don't mean to can. pick on the guy. It was just <laughs> funny that he knew so much, and then the first guy <laughs> the that reads it says, you don't even know what you're talking How about. How dare so. you, sir? <laughs> you don't know thixotropic. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Next question. A viewer asked specifically about a verse. What is John 9, verses 31 through 35, and especially verse 41 talking about. All right, well, let's pull those two verses on the screen. This will help us just to start. Uh, whenever we got a question about a verse, good thing just to open up your Bible and read it. If you don't have a Bible, we got this provided for you on the screen. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And later on, verse 41, Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Okay, again, understanding any verse, it is crucial 
so important to understand the context. And even on this program, sometimes we just pull out one or two verses, uh, but the astute students are following along in their Bibles and they're, they're reading through and they're getting context, which gives us a much, much better understanding of Scripture. Let Scripture interpret itself. So this is in John chapter 9. It's the story of, of Jesus healing a man born blind and the controversy that caused with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, of course, were mad because he did it on the Sabbath, which is kind of ridiculous to think about. Um, but Jesus then kind of turns the tables. He says, you know, I healed this guy who was physically blind, but you guys are spiritually blind. And they missed the whole point. Uh, Jesus did a wonderful thing, not just to show his authority, but to show his compassion. And uh, these Pharisees over there said, well, he did it on the wrong day. And uh, he just says, you guys, you're missing the whole point. You're blind yourself. And I love how Jesus was able to do that so often. I think this is ex exactly what he's saying. He said, when verse 41, he said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Uh, the Pharisees thought they were the most uh, spiritually uh, eye-opened people that, that, that could be. They thought they knew everything. They had all the answers. They had all the, the wisdom. People respected them. But Jesus said, you, you don't know the half of it. You think you can see, and because of that, your, your guilt remains. And so Jesus is using a little spiritual judo, if you will, to show the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And just to point out the ridiculousness of uh, Jesus doing such a wonderful thing and they can't even find joy in that. they got to pick it apart little by little. So I think when you read the context of that, it's pretty easy to see um, what Jesus is trying to get at with the Pharisees. He's trying to use it as a teachable moment, uh, not just for the man and not just for the people who knew the man, but for the Pharisees who are trying to, to criticize Jesus' authority and, of course, uh, uh, criticize the man who'd been born healed, or I mean, born blind and healed. So uh, that's what the interpretation is, and I hope that helps the viewer. All right, very good. Let's take just a moment to study a good way to study the Bible. We've got some free materials that we're happy to send you. Uh, we enjoy answering your questions, and we hope we get most of them right, and that you learn a little bit about the Bible. But there's so much in the Bible, and uh, God's got a message for you in there. And that's uh, why we want uh, you to study at home and use your own Bible, use your own time. And this, these materials that we have will help you do that. Uh, they're self-directed. You don't need any help. You just have a Bible and sit down at your own kitchen table and uh, read through the lesson and do what it tells you. Uh, read the parts of the Bible that it says and answer a few questions to make sure you've got the points that they've wanted you to get in this lesson. Then send it back to us and we'll score it for you and send you lesson number two and right on through all eight of this first lesson, this first series. Uh, when you're done, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. You'll know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, which is a very basic thing to know before you go too far in Bible study. And then uh, once you've completed this one, we've got more advanced courses that we're happy to get you. And you can, uh, you can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools and become a pretty good Bible student. Hopefully it'll help you form a regular habit of Bible study where if you get through all of our courses someday, you'll just have a love for the Bible that you can keep right on studying in your own way. So that's what we offer, absolutely free of charge. We pay the postage both ways. You'll never get put on a mailing list. We'll never beg you for money or ask you for money or suggest that you send us any money. We just want you to have the study tools and we're happy to provide them for you. So give us a call or log on to the website 
tell us you'd like that free course and it'll come your way. All right, question about uh, what's the Bible say about our treatment of the earth? What's the Bible say about how we treat the earth? Short answer, virtually nothing. The Bible just doesn't talk about that. Uh, it's not near as important a topic in the Bible as it is to today's uh, folks that think we got to preserve the earth forever. Uh, it's just not in there. Now let me read you one verse from Genesis 1.28. This was when things started and this was the basic rule. God blessed them. Uh, he's talking about man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, that's what the Bible says about our treatment of earth is man is in charge. You take care of it. You do what you want to with it. You've got dominion. Now, I know that doesn't sound politically correct. Uh, the folks today that worship the earth uh, believe that animals have dominion over us, I think, that uh, we're, the, we're the problem. Mankind and humans, are, if we could just get rid of them, the earth would be fine. That wasn't what God said. God said, man, woman, fulfill the earth, subdue it, take dominion over it, you run it. Now, uh, I don't think we ought to be wasteful. I don't think we ought to, uh, uh, you know, be abusive to the earth in any way. But I think there's a huge difference between what the Bible says and what today's uh, uh, creation or uh, I can't think of the word I want to use. The <laughs> conservation uh, folk is not conservation because I'm a conservationist. But environmentalist. Environmentalist. There we go. <laughs> uh, folks that basically have the concept that the earth, we, it's our job to preserve it forever. That's the concept. Uh, and it's come into the Christian church. Uh, people have got Christians believing that that's their Christian duty is to keep this uh, earth alive forever. And you got to do that by recycling every scrap of aluminum that you ever touch and on and on. The Bible says the earth is going to burn up. Uh, the Bible says this world is not our home. Uh, we shouldn't uh, be worshiping it uh, or worrying about it to that degree. Uh, that doesn't mean we ought to abuse it and be pollutionists and all of that. But uh, it, what we're seeing today uh, doesn't just approach but actually is earth worship. And the Bible certainly doesn't say that. It says our responsibilities to each other and raising our children and living a good life and being ready uh, for whenever this old earth gets burned up. So the Bible doesn't say anything hardly about uh, treatment of the earth. All right, Toby, your yeah. turn. All right, we have a question about a pretty prevalent problem. Uh, viewer says, my, my boyfriend won't stop watching porn. I need something in writing that explains why it is wrong. And I believe that we have sent this viewer something in writing, but we thought it was such a, a timely topic that we'd go ahead and, and discuss it on the air because really the problem here is not the pornography. Uh, and that temptation has always been around. The problem, and you kind of allude to it in your question, you say, my boyfriend won't stop watching porn. It doesn't say that he can't. We all know that he, uh, if he's a reasonable human being with normal mental faculties, he can have and apply self-control and, uh, and can choose to say no to evil things. So this is really a heart problem. And I will, I will stop to say, and just make this important point, 
Uh, the verses that I'm going to give you are going to be absolutely meaningless if he's not a, a young man who fears the Lord and who respects his word. Of course, we believe on the Bible, uh, on this program, that the Bible gives us all uh, that we need to know for life and godliness. And so as we uh, are going along, we, we look at the scriptures to help us and guide us. Now, the word pornography or porn is never found in scripture, but we have some principles that we can look at together. I've got those on the screen for you. The first is that, <clears throat> and Jesus said, lust is a heart problem. And Jesus said, you don't commit adultery uh, in the physical act, but it begins much farther when you look at a woman to lust with the purpose of uh, m m uh, taking her clothes off in your mind and, and abusing her in your mind. That's where the problem is. It, it lies much, much deeper than just the physical action. So this indicates a deep heart problem. The second is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. And we we got to stay clear of it because it, Paul says it's the one sin that affects our physical body uh, and it affects our souls as well. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 20 says we must not live in this way. We must uh, flee the evil desires of youth and, and we must turn away from those things that are going to uh, hurt us or harm us. And uh, finally, 1 John chapter 2 uh, verses 15 and 16 says that the basic sins are all the same. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then those have always been the basic core sins. And, of course, with pornography, we're dealing with lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. And if we give in to those, if we allow those to dominate and rule our lives, we're going to be ruled by sin. We're going to be mastered by this. Now, <clears throat> uh, if he'll repent, he'll confess his sin, he can pray to God for help, he, he absolutely can be forgiven. And I believe pornography is shackling a lot of young men and more and more young women in today's culture because it's so easy. It's uh, readily available at your computer, uh, just logging in or just even on your mobile device. It's right there. Uh, and it's such a, a strong temptation. Now, God designed your sexual urges to be the thing that keeps a marriage together. It's a very powerful wonderful energy designed to be used uh, in the covenant of marriage. But outside of that can be very destructive, as you probably know. Um, but he can be forgiven if he wants to be, if he desires to be. Uh, he needs some accountability. Uh, he might want to find a church with Celebrate Recovery. They work on, on these type of addictions all the time and helps people. Uh, Proverbs 28:13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses his sin renounces and renounces them finds mercy. Uh, I did have a couple of books here on the screen that I wanted to show you. If you're interested in some extra biblical help, a couple of real good books that will be helpful to your boyfriend, to, perhaps to you if you read through them with him. Uh, one is Every Man's Battle, which is sort of, to me, the standard on this topic. And then the other one is called When Good Men Are Tempted. So you can look those up on Amazon and find them and read them together. But the, the core of it is his heart. And if he desires to change, he can change using scripture, using godly people to work together on it. So Alrighty. I hope that helps. Okay, thank you, Tommy. <clears throat> I got a question. I heard that Jesus was related to James and John. Is that in the Bible? Well, I've heard the same thing, and that is in the Bible only if you like jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> uh, you can put a case together for that, but you've got to work at it a little bit. So let's put the jigsaw puzzle up here. If you go read these three verses, write those down if you want to really solve this. Matthew 25, 56, Mark 15, 40, and John 19, 25. 
Those three lists list the women at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Three of the women at the cross. All three lists list Mary Magdalene. So write that down in the first column. Uh, all three of them list Mary Magdalene. And then two of the lists next say Mary the mother of James and Joses. And one of them says Mary the wife of Clopas. So if that's the same woman, she's another Mary that's there. And then the three lists have three different names for the third woman if it is the same woman, which we don't know of. The one calls her the mother of Zebedee's sons. That would be James and John, her, their mother. One calls her Salome, and one calls the woman Mary's sister, Jesus' mother's sister. So here's the big if. If <laughs> all three lists are about the same three women, which we don't know, and if the third woman is the same, then her name was Salome, she was Mary's sister. Her boys were James and John. And then James and John would be Jesus' cousins. Quite a jigsaw puzzle, but <laughs> if you put it all together, that's where people get the idea that they might have been related. No other mention in the Bible of it. No support for that at all. It's just an interesting little factoid that uh, you can believe if you want, and I don't think it'll affect much of anything. All right, let me take just a second and mention some uh, churches that support the program here, and we like to mention the Churches of Christ that helps keep us on the air uh, today. Let me tell you about the one in St. John, Kansas, great group of folks out there. Uh, ministers are Carl Farrell and Tom Turner. If you live out in that area of Kansas, I'll bet you know Lloyd Ratz, who's a find the elder of that church and just turned a hundred not too long ago. Still working on his farm, by the way. So we honor him for his service and drop in and tell the folks at St. John you appreciate the program sometime. All right, Toby, got time for a quick one? Or? Yes, so we'll do a quick one here. A viewer asked the question, uh, where does it say in the Bible you can fall from grace? And uh, normally I give a little explanation. This time I'm just going to uh, give the reference. It's found in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 4. We're going to read it on the screen. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And so this is where that reference is. Read the whole chapter if you want to get a little bit of context on falling from grace. Yeah, it's yeah, a bigger topic, but yep. uh, about out of time today, so we won't go any further on it. I uh, got a little simpler one here. When Matthias took Judas's place, did he take over his ministry? Well, I'd never really thought of that before. Uh, I would say no, because uh, Judas's only ministry that we know of was keeping the treasury. Uh, I guess somebody had to do that, so maybe Matthias did. But very shortly after this, right after Matthias became an apostle, the apostles kind of went their own separate ways. Uh, they traveled to different places, and they, they didn't travel around as a group of 12 much anymore. I'm sure they got together occasionally when they were in Jerusalem, but uh, it wasn't the 12 people traveling around together and having to have somebody keep the treasury bag. So I'd say probably Matthias didn't, uh, but once again, no biblical proof either way on that. So whatever you want to buy there, I guess. Uh, trivia question. Let's make sure we get it answered for the day. And it is about uh, the apostle that was a twin. Which one was a twin? And if you read the list, there is a fellow named Thomas. And it says he was also called Didymus. And Didymus means twin. So we assume he had a twin. We don't know if it was a identical twin or we don't know if it was a boy or a girl for that matter. But 
Thomas had a twin somewhere. All right, we're out of time for questions today, but we're glad that you've been with us and studying with us today. And we're going to invite you to be back with us next week on Know Your Bible. And if you've got some questions, phone number, website are open all the time. Use them anytime you want to to get in touch with us. And if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, today would be a good day to do that. We're glad you've been with us today, and we hope we see you again next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.